Kent. And I'm Anna. And this is Film and Family, a podcast about feature filmmaking for professionals in the film industry with families. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. Let's jump right in. Okay, so as you can hear, Kent is back. I'm back! Yay! (laughs) And today we want to talk about storytelling and selling. So this topic comes from the idea, which I think is a misconception, that people are either kind of right-brained or Mm left-brained, that it's hard for creative people to be business-minded. And I think it's important to know that when we're storytelling, you're selling, that those two are actually not totally different from each other. And since this is an area that I think most people dread, they feel really afraid of trying to get investors attached to their film or pitch it or find distributors. I hope this will be good news to you to see that they actually aren't that different and practicing one skill transfers over to the other. Yeah, I hear people of all kinds talk about this. So my sister is a genealogist And she's the same way. She really cares about her craft of genealogy, right? And in some ways that's an art, you know, it's this problem solving thing that you're really passionate about. I mean, she's deeply into researching and figuring out like different record keeping methods of different countries and different zones and how to get paperwork released to different places. And it is an art form and, and there's an artistic way that she kind of problem solves, but she doesn't, you know, she's had a lot of hesitancy up till now approaching the idea of becoming self-employed because she says, oh, I can't sell people. I can't be the business person. I can't manage all the backlog sort of number, whatever. So she separates that. I think that's normal. I know people who are even software engineers, which you might think is not an art, but it is. It's it's a creative problem-solving technical sort of craft, but they avoid management responsibilities because they separate those two. And I don't know. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that some people do become what you would consider a super level two level two is when you've mastered like you've kind of you're really good at a technical skill and super level two is when you're like super super good at that but you never go management route and then level three would be like management positions and level four would be like executive suite kind of c-level stuff that's like a thing i learned in an engineering class that i wasn't supposed to be in anyway but yeah i think it's this idea that like you're one or the other seems strange to me Because there's so many technically brilliant people that move on into managerial, entrepreneurial leadership roles. And it's the same thing with selling. You need to learn to sell. Sell doesn't always mean like you're like door to door salesmanship, you know? Yeah, we kind of have an image of what selling looks like that we grew up with, which, you know, for our generation is maybe very cheesy little ads on TV or people soliciting you that you don't want calls or visits from (laughs) or salesy is a word that comes up where it's like someone who's very pushy or who won't take no for an answer Mm -hmm. or who maybe doesn't have your best interest in mind they just want to sell you that thing no matter what the cost literal or (laughs) otherwise (laughs) yeah so i took daniel pink's master class and he talks about the power of persuasion and he's pretty much an expert on that topic and how we're always persuading all the time, this is part of our interaction with other people and how this skill can transfer to so many different areas. And if you think about it, 
that passion that you're saying your sister has and that lots of people have for what they do or what they just care about is one of the major components of persuasion. It's just that you have a passion for it. It's easy for us to sell people on things. We do this all the time for things that we just love. You know, we're not representing the company. We don't get any percentage of profits, but like our vacuum, we love our vacuum. And it's a D-bot, go buy it, D-bot <laughs> vacuum. <laughs> it can map our house and we use it every single day every and it cleans up single day. the carpet and the hard floor and it can mop and right now we're going it can empty into an auto empty station that we just take out once a month and it's and we're the going, best. And we're going through <laughs> massive withdrawals because we had to get the thing serviced <laughs> and now we don't know what to do with ourselves because we don't have our dang vacuum. I literally <laughs> forgot. This is so funny, but I forgot like, what do you do without a vacuum? We don't have a vacuum otherwise. And then I had a friend come over and she, <laughs> I was telling her about this and she said, do you want me to sweep your floors for you? <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and I was like, sweep oh yeah, floors. sweeping. <laughs> I forgot that's what you do. What a bunch of snooty. <laughs> but actually, same friend bought the vacuum herself. <laughs> so she has one too now. And we just sold them on it because, because we like it so much. So and This episode is brought to you by... <laughs> it's not true. It's an expensive vacuum. It was... But it's it was a, a lot, but we use it every single day. We use we it every it. day and it saves us hours and it keeps our house way cleaner. I wouldn't vacuum, mop, and sweep every single day. And you can feel the difference just stepping on, on the feet. carpet or on the floor. All it's right. crazy. All right. Enough selling this vacuum. <laughs> I think you've made your point. See how but, fun it is when you just care about something? Like It's so easy to just talk about all the reasons you love it. But I think we get self-conscious when it's our own thing. Yeah. like Let's throw it to a creative thing. When was yeah. the last time you saw a movie and you sold it to someone? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you will fight for that movie. If someone tries to tell you that it wasn't that good, you start going into all the reasons why it was so good because you're like defending it. Like, no, you don't. You, you don't understand. understand yeah, it. you didn't get it. You didn't <laughs> get it. It, it, it was lost on you because this was so good. Same with like right now, I'm going to evangelize. I'm going through this major love phase with the killer's newish album, Imploding the Mirage. I love the cover art. I love every song on the album practically. I love the lyrics. I love Brandon Flowers. I just love that album. Yeah. It is so <laughs> cool. It is so cool. And like, listen to the whole thing all the way through. Look at the cover art. Listen to some interviews from him about what the cover art means and look up the cover art. Look up that artist. He's actually really interesting. And then like, read the lyrics. Just read them along and really listen closely. And if you're anything remotely like me, it'll speak to you. If not, maybe not. But when you listen to an album that you're crazy about, don't tell me you don't do the same thing. We here are filmmakers. This is a podcast for filmmakers. And most likely we have music, paintings, all kinds of art that touches us in a way that makes us want to solicit it. And here's the flip side of this coin. I have a feeling that a lot of our insecurity about selling or pitching our movies or asking for money for our films comes because deep down, we don't believe that film can make money or we don't want to make promises we can't keep or we have doubts in ourselves or that the movie really won't be successful and well, that's kind of a problem. Should you really be helming a movie that you don't believe in? Or should you be doing the thought work? And maybe the work, I mean, maybe the movie does need work. Maybe you need to reconceptualize or rewrite the script or punch it up a little bit, but get it to a point where you can feel confident. No, this is a great project. 
And like, it's okay. You don't have to invest in it, but snooze you lose, man. I mean, it'll be your loss. And you don't want to say, I mean, I would never say it like that to someone, but I would say it basically like we have a lot of confidence in this project and we really believe that the people who end up investing in this are going to be really happy that they did it. And if this resonates with you, when I tell you this story, then, then that's your heart telling you that you want to be a part of this, you know, and I feel passionate about these projects that I'm working on, but I definitely have had times in my life where I am, I'm so, I'm too self-conscious. Like I, can I really make any promises to these people? How confident am I really? We start to make it personal and it's not about selling yourself. So there's a difference between selling your work and selling yourself. You don't have to go around and say, I'm the best director. You have to believe it. Like, here's all the reasons why that's just, you know, pretentious. But if you love the story, which hopefully you're doing work that you love, or that's your, you know, what you're trying to pitch, what you're trying to get going and you have a good reason, tell them the story of how you fell in love with that project. You know, like this is how I found it. This is how I felt about it. This is where it's coming from. This is why it matters to me. And if you're directing, especially, you need to have that very clear in your mind throughout the whole process. You're communicating that vision. You're taking people on a journey and sharing why this story matters. And, you know, good products to a degree also just sell themselves. So instead of saying why it's the best and why it matters to you and and all those things that Anna just said, which you do need to believe those things. I think it also helps to just tell the story. And if the story is really good, you'll feel it. And if it's connecting with those people, you'll feel it. And it might not always connect. I've pitched scripts where it was about 50, 50, you know, 50, 50 is pretty good. (laughs) It was a very divisive script, but it was powerful. And I could tell that some people deeply, deeply resonated with it. And some people deeply, deeply hated it. (laughs) And 50, 50, you might think, oh my gosh, if 50% of the people hate it. I mean, like, could you imagine getting a 50% rotten, rotten tomatoes? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Investors don't check the rotten tomatoes score. And if they do, they still don't care if it got a 0%, if it makes a million dollars, you know, like, like, if it makes millions of dollars on top of its budget. That said, if people are responding strongly to something, then people will pay money and they'll drive to a theater. They will sit down and spend two hours to watch it. They will talk to people about it and get word of mouth going. I'm not advocating like bombastic sort of punky filmmaking necessarily, like make whatever gets you attention kind of stuff. But this particular script, we did feel very personal about. We felt very strongly about it. We felt like it was meaningful and purposeful and helped people. But we also knew that there were some people that just were not going to like it. And and there were some people that did not like it. But the people who did, it really connected with them. And I kind of think of La La Land as a movie that was like that. Some people just hated that movie. <laughs> they didn't like the ending. They didn't like the beginning. They didn't like the musicalness of it. They didn't like the jazziness of it. They didn't like Ryan Gosling in that kind of a role. I heard it all. But the people who loved that movie loved it. And they went and saw it over and over and over again. And I think that movie did just fine for itself. I think it was plenty successful. Well, and even if it's not financially successful, it doesn't mean it's a failure. And there are often times when I watch an amazing film and just think, I hope that this director knows how amazing this film is. Yeah, even though it wasn't quote unquote successful. Yeah, it's easy to just see lots of numbers and see lots of you know, you don't see the reactions people have to it. And there are films that have been pretty life-changing for me or even just altering the way that I approached the craft forever. And there's no way for the director to know that 
they've had that effect on me, but they have. Yeah. So side note there, but <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. So if you feel like you don't like selling, first of all, if you don't have to sell your stories, then fine. You might have a great producer. You might already have the connections. You might not need this podcast, but for those of you who feel stuck because you don't know that you can sell the story, hopefully this is hopeful to see that pitching your story is just telling the story, right? That's what you're doing anyway. That's what you want to practice doing. That's what you want to be good at. You're going to take someone on a journey, help them catch the vision, keep it interesting, not boring. You want it to be memorable, sensory. And if you just love it enough, it's not hard to sell when you believe in something like we've talked about. So do you feel that way about your story? Yeah, I do. <laughs> the, um, the, I'm just going to push back on one thing you said, which was this podcast isn't for you if you're not the one who's in charge of pitching the movie. Mm. Everyone's in charge of pitching the movie. Everyone. First of all, if people get offset and they start talking bad about what a bad set experience it was and yada, yada, I mean, that can kind of hurt a movie. But really, everyone's in charge of pitching themselves. And so I'm going to go back to like this other thought that you shared about like, it's not about pitching yourself or selling yourself. It's about selling the project. But like, for example, an actor, I think sometimes we do get caught up in like, if you don't get the role, that's like a reflection on your acting when I think we all know that, man, and you know, some actors probably don't know this, but when you're a director or a producer or a casting director, it becomes very quickly evident to you that there can be extremely skilled actors that are just not the right fit. You know, the storytelling and everything is such a subjective thing that you are trying to create as a director or some sort of producer. It's very emotional. You're just trying to feel it. And someone will step in the room and you can go, I mean, they're extremely skilled. And the audition itself might reveal things to me about that character that I didn't know before, but I can just say that person doesn't quite feel right in the role. They don't, they don't embody this ineffable thing that I have created in my mind with this character, whether you wrote the script or not as the director. On that one hand, it, there's that thing, right? But on the other hand, it's like actors can get all sorts of roles that they might not be first pick for and other crew members, anyone, right? You're always selling yourself when you're super great to work with. For example, when you are like an AC and you are just like, I'm going to step off of this set having given everyone my absolute best with a good attitude and I'm going to be really kind to everyone and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to try and learn and, you know, just you have the best attitude you can. You're going to walk away from that set having sold yourself, right? In a sense, everyone's going to go and actually sell for you because they're going to say, it was such a good experience working with so-and-so. And actors are the same, right? If it's just like, man, I just love working with this actor. They're so reasonable to work with. And after a while, people get tired of working with difficult people. It's too hard in this very high stakes creative medium that we're all part of to work with difficult people. It just gets exhausting, which just brings me to this idea that marketing, which is similar to selling, not the same thing, but it's similar, mm -hmm. is serving and helping people. It's that way, no matter what part of the process you're involved in, but pitching to someone is paying a compliment to them. It's, you know, you're just like, Hey, I wanted to share this story with you, whether it's feedback or whether you want to invest, I'd love your input. And I think people are flattered by that. I think that if you go and you show up and you work your hardest, you're selling yourself, but you're also serving people. You're giving them as much value as possible. Even marketing that we've experienced as through the coaching program, the membership, the film and family Academy that we offer through 
Invisible Mansion Pictures, our marketing is pretty much giving away free stuff. And we don't care if people join the email list and get off the email list right away. It's like, we want to help people. And that marketing is helping people for free. And it introduces them to what we do and it helps them understand our services and people join the coaching program, as many people as we need, but not everyone is gonna join. But I don't know, it's just like, when you put value out, value it comes, comes back. back. It always comes back. Yeah. So you show up on each set and say, I'm gonna put more value in than they're paying me. I'm getting paid 500 bucks a day to AC. I'm gonna give them an $800 a day AC. I'm just gonna over deliver. I'm gonna be an actor. I'm gonna show up memorized and I'm gonna show up with a really positive attitude. And I'm going to do nothing that's going to put extra weight on the director or on the crew. You know, I'm going to direct this movie. I'm going to put extra prep work into it and deliver a movie that I feel like is my absolute best work and try and make a movie that's going to deliver way more than these investors paid for, right? That, that's what we're all trying to do is get people who are investing and risking in us. And that's all of us have someone who's investing and risking in us, whether they hired us or invested money in us. We're trying to give them a big ROI, right? In some sense. So in my opinion, that's selling, <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're helping, you're doing your craft, you're doing your job. No, it's so true. In every role, that's important. And I think about the people who I think are my favorite people to work with and something that they seem to all have in common is they're very good at this skill of finding things they like, you know, it's easy to find things you don't like. It's easy to complain and notice problems, but what not all of us are good at is, you know, selling ourselves on everything, like selling ourselves on people that all the reasons we like people, all the reasons we like this particular set, this particular story. And I think maybe even to the point where they might get made fun of for being so overly Positive complimentary or, or something. Yeah. And yet they're the people everyone wants to work with because they have that skill of just when it's your own stuff, I think that insecurity can get in the way, but it doesn't need to. And if you develop the skill of being able to even find the positive in stuff that you've written or stuff that you've directed and still be able to say, these are the reasons I love this story. These are the reasons I love the way it turned out. These are the parts that really still are working for me. Treating yourself with that same kind mm -hmm. of charity. Not only does that feel good to like things and to find reasons to like people around you and the experiences you're having, but it also helps sell like it comes back. Well, and it comes out in the work. Listen, these directors that are so complimentary and so loving and so like, that was so good. And like, I really like, I really liked what you did there. And they're not being like fake about it. You know, you might be imagining people who are fake. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people when I watch them, I'm like, they genuinely thought that was a great performance. Even if I'm kind of critical and I'm like, yeah, I thought it was okay. Listen, they do another take after they, talk that person up and it's not a strategy. I don't feel like this guy's doing it as a strategy. I think he's just genuine. And you know why? Because he gets better performances out of most people I've worked with. He gets better performances out of the actors. He gets better performances out of the crew. Everyone does their best work with some of these people that are just so complimentary. I remember one DP or sorry, one director who works with me as a DP a lot in school. He was very complimentary that way and always was like, you worked so hard on that set and like you did a great job. There were other reasons why he got my best work. He was very art focused. And I think that always helps a DP when he's very crafty and hands-on and he gets kind of into the visceral side of filmmaking, very like rainy, foggy, visceral, tactile kind of imagery was coming out of his work. 
But I mean, that was my best student work was working with that director. So the flip side, once again, I'll go back to this. If you think that that will ruin your work by being like, oh, I actually have all these reasons why I like this film. If you don't believe that about your film and you think, no, I want to stay critical. I want to stay on top of it. I don't want to become blinded by my own sense of overconfidence or anything. Obviously, we don't want to do that. But really, if you don't love your story and you don't love your film, are you really the best person to be the writer on that script, the director of that movie, the DP, the actor playing that character? If you don't love whatever it is you're bringing to the table, are you really the best person for that job? I don't want that to cause any of you like an anxiety attack. You probably are. You just need to learn to accept and learn to see that, you know? So sell it to yourself, which was an interesting phrase that made me also think of that, that comes down to craft. I mean, when you're editing a film and you're editing it, you're trying to sell that this really happened. Right. That's you know? kind of what I'm saying is yeah. like even practicing selling or pitching your story transfers over to telling the story and storytelling is also selling. So it goes both ways. Like, first of all, people can sense if you are passionate about the story. Quote, I, think. I don't buy it. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> yeah. Like you watch a movie and like <laughs> the guy jumps off the airplane and does a triple backflip and it explodes and then he like kicks a shark in the face and you go, I don't <laughs> buy it, you know? <laughs> right. They have to actually believe that this character might not survive. They might not get what they want. Or that they, that character would actually do that in the first right. place. Right. You know, like, <laughs> that their action that is thing. motivated. Sometimes that's very hard to do, especially you look at historical films where people already know the ending. We were talking about this with Valkyrie. Yeah. It's a story Brian about- Brian Singer film from 2008, six, somewhere in there. Yeah, like German resistance. And we all kind of know the ending yeah, of they, that, they don't right? kill Hitler, right? Right, they have this plan to kill Hitler. And yet they manage to keep you engaged and almost wonder Wait. if it's going to work or how it is not going to work. And it's- it's an crazy that they it's can an do impossible that. sell. Like, how did they even get that movie funded? <laughs> it's like we're going to make this movie about these guys, and the whole set suspense is like, are they going to kill Hitler? And everyone goes, I think everyone like third grade and up knows the ending of this movie before they go see it. How are you going to make that suspenseful? I don't know. And they did a great job. I thought. yeah, it's a beautiful film. I love it. Ah, it's a great film. So again, that is the challenge. Go watch Valkyrie. We're selling it. <laughs> Oh, we could sell you all day on this podcast, but we won't on all the things we on love. This podcast. All the... this podcast is the best podcast. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> we could spend the whole episode selling all of our favorite things. Peachtree City in the golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> what we, else? We, we've done that on too many episodes. Um, <laughs> our pillows are really comfy. Our, our comfy pillows that <laughs> we tell bought. the whole story. Of this. Just, yeah, okay. No, our best okay. pillows. All right. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> So hopefully this podcast helps you realize that if you like storytelling, you actually already love selling people and those skills will transfer easily over and don't be afraid to try it. It's not as different as you might think. Yeah. And you might actually find a lot of joy in it and you'll be able to take your own career into your own hands a little bit more. And I'm a huge advocate for not believing that filmmaking is this weird career where you're waiting around twiddling your thumb for someone to come in and realize just how doggone talented you are. And here's the standard rich and famous contract, as they say in the Muppet movie, <laughs> you can't sit around and wait for that. The lottery only strikes once in a blue moon. And even if you get it, you're going to have to win it again, as Chris McQuarrie explains. But if you learn to just 
become a little multidisciplinary and you start to learn to sell your work and your craft and help people realize the value of what you do and actually learn and develop your skills so that what you do is valuable, it's a two-edged sword, then you, you can steer your life. You can direct your life and you can find so much more peace and confidence doing that. In my opinion, I've found that I feel really safe knowing that it's lovely to be able to hire a whole crew and have a lot of money. But if I need to, I can edit this thing if I have to. I can shoot it if I have to. I mean, Anna maybe doesn't feel that kind of cross-disciplinary ship, but you have other cross-disciplinary skills. She has all sorts of managerial skills, both on the back end and on like the directorial end. You learn what kind of a smorgasbord of skills you want to learn, but this is one of them. I think this is one of a particular skill that helps everybody is that sort of idea of selling, which is really just helping people. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for you today. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, you'll love our weekly email. Click subscribe in the show notes to stay up to date on the latest opportunities and resources we have available. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.